0: You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 529 of this podcast. Today is January 3rd, 2023. Also a Tuesday, and we are getting into the swing of things with the new year in my household. Yesterday, we sat down, it was a day late, but not a dollar short, talking through how to use some new personal organizers in my house, and my wife and I, we set some goals or shared some goals that we have for the new year. Our four oldest sons, they all are going to be using field notes and just learning how to write down when they have things coming up that they're looking forward to, what their plans are, what happens that's of note in the course of their days and their weeks so that they can look back over all of that at the end of the year or at the end of a quarter or at the end of a month, et cetera, et cetera, and learn meaningful lessons. But I want to share with you just briefly my goal for the year, which is I think uh, the most Audacious, perhaps, and then uh, <laughs> in some ways it's it's not but i'll I'll explain why I would say uh, it is and it isn't so last year I set a goal for myself to read fifty two books. I wanted to read one for every week of the year, and I reached that goal. I was pretty close the previous year in two thousand twenty one I was pretty close to reaching my goal, but didn't quite make it. I came in just under the target. And so I lowered the target just a little bit. I think I planned 55 in 2021. And I actually came in at like 52 or 53 or something. And so for 2022, I said, oh, okay, let's just pick the number that corresponds with the number of weeks in the year. And we'll go with that. We'll see how that goes. Well, I got 62. I, I set the bar a little bit lower and I actually overshot by 10 books. And I feel good about that. And I have a couple of options when I see that at the end of the year in any regard, in any area. If I really went over and above, I could either A, raise my goal the next year above where I had it previously and just keep challenging myself that way, or I could find some other aspect of how I went about obtaining my goal with regards to reading besides just focusing on the number of books and given that that's a lot of books right that's a, that's a lot of books 62 books in the course of a year is a lot i thought you know rather than increasing the number and challenging myself that way i want to focus on being more intentional in picking out books ahead of time and i'll be honest part of the inspiration here was my wife lauren and her literary peeps foxer group where she talks with these gals from church about what they're reading and what they think of it. And they give recommendations and they give commentary and you know, what did they get from this one or what did they not like about it? What do they think is better or not as good? And one of the things that they are doing and have been doing in that group is a five by five reading list for the year. I think Virginia Rogers started it and now a few others besides have said, yeah, that's a great idea. Why don't we do that? More of us can do that. My wife is doing that. And how this works is you pick five categories or subjects or genres of books. And within each of those five, you pick five books that are in that category, that genre covering that subject. And you're going to read at least those 25 books over the course of the year. You can read more besides, of course, but you're going to read at least those 25 books to try and be intentional about being well-rounded and developing and growing in those areas. Maybe there are some weak spots, maybe there are some topics that you just don't know much about and you want to rectify that over the course of the year. And this is, I think, a very intelligent way to be intentional about that. By contrast, the way I have always done it when it comes to reading books is I just pick whatever seems good to me At the time, when I finish one book and I'm ready to add another one, I just look at what I'm interested in right then. If somebody has recently recommended a book and I happen to remember it and I'm feeling like it, I'm in the mood to read a book like that or about that subject, well, then I jump in. But one of the side effects (laughs) uh, of doing that, of just kind of going wherever the wind blows as far as what I read, you know, with... Some guiding principles, no doubt, but but not a lot of very specific planning in a long term way. One of the side effects can be that I can get really top heavy on certain subjects and neglect entirely other subjects that are also important that I need to read and I need to study and think about and consider to be well rounded, to be a balanced person. And so, towards the end of not necessarily doing the five by five thing per se, but taking you know some admiration that I have for that specificity, that intentionality, that discipline, that commitment, and translating it into something that I think will work better for me, I made a list of books that were either in my wish list on Audible or which are already in my library on Audible. I picked them up on sale here and there. I just haven't gotten to them yet. Uh, Also, some books that I just remembered in the course of writing things out. Hey, so-and-so mentioned this one a while back. You know, I should really get to that one and let them know what I thought of it. Some other books besides, I reached out to friends and family on Facebook. It was mostly friends who got back with me, particularly friends uh, that I interact with uh, on a fairly regular basis. Those friends gave me some recommendations, and so I put those in. Uh, most of them, not all of them. If I could find them on Audible, I threw them in to my reading list for 2023. And then, besides that, I just have other books that I have realized as I'm looking at the recommendations and I'm looking at my library of unread books. I thought, you know, I, I think this would also be cool. Or Audible, when I click into the book that was recommended to me or that I already had in the library, recommends this one, and boy, that does look interesting. Actually, it's another one by the same author, or On the same subject, readers who enjoy this book also enjoy these ones. Uh, You know, I think I will add that one as well. And here's what I've got I, you know, I want to have actually 52 books, one for every week of the year. And then from those, I won't necessarily read them in any particular order. From those, I will pick based on what I'm in the mood for after I finish a certain book, uh, what I read next. But I have 38 out of 52. If you have some recommendations for how I can fill out uh, additional books besides uh to you know kind of get that last 14 that I am <laughs> missing uh, as yet, do let me know. But here is what I've got in no particular order except just the order that I wrote them down. Gravity's Rainbow by Thomas Pinchon, The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexandre Dumas, Dominion by Tom Holland, The Splendid and the Vile by Eric Larson, Silas Marner by George Eliot, which I finished yesterday, by the way. It was excellent. That was one Lauren recommended to me. She read it last year, and then I started it last year. I just finished it yesterday. It was quite good, quite, quite good. Uh, A Lady's Life in the Rocky Mountains. uh, That one by Isabella Lucy Bird is a, a travel blog of an Englishwoman who actually traveled here in the Rocky Mountains, oh, 100 and some 150 years ago, and she wrote about it. She wrote about what she saw, what she observed, and what her experiences were, what her perspective was on the Rocky Mountains. In particular, she writes about the Denver, Greeley, uh, Fort Collins, Estes Park area, and she comments on the, the kind of people who are here, and what they're like, and the such. I hope to finish that one today. We'll see how it goes. Uh, also, I have The Parallel Lives of the Noble Greeks and Romans by Plutarch to finish up. Summa Theologica, Volume 1 by Thomas Aquinas. Lex Rex by Samuel Rutherford. The Life of Samuel Johnson by James Boswell. I'm really enjoying that one. When I make progress on it, it's it's quite good. Uh, Thomas Pinchon. Uh, here's another one by him, The The other one that I mentioned, the first one that I mentioned, uh, that was recommended by Meg Dickey, my wife's in particular, dear friend. But this one, it just cropped up as an additional idea, thanks to Audible. But Mason and Dixon, this one is about the story of the two English surveyors after whom the Mason-Dixon line is named. Uh, it looked interesting, had really good reviews. Uh, also, I'd like to read Tartuffe by Moliere. I watched the play in college when I was at Cedarville and really enjoyed it. I thought it was very amusing and also, I mean, clearly highly sarcastic and satirical. It's and just a brilliant piece of satire. It was actually banned by <laughs> the French king at the time when it first came out because it was highly critical of the hypocrisy, the self-righteousness, the uh, immorality of the Roman Catholic Church in France. But I want to actually read Tartuffe and not just watch it and not just remember it. I want to be able to say I read it. Uh, Also recommended by others, The Count of Monte Cristo, The Enlightenment That Failed by Jonathan I. Israel, Conservatism, A Rediscovery by Yoram Hazony, The Great Reset by Mark Morano. And then uh, Some More Chosen by Me, It's Good to Be a Man by Michael Foster and Dominic braun Tennant. The Silmarillion by J.R.R. R. Tolkien, The Children of Huron by J.R.R. Tolkien, The Disappearance of Childhood by Neil Postman, The Revolt of the Public and the Crisis of Authority in the New Millennium by Martin Goodery, Scotland, A History from Earliest Times by Alastair Moffat, The Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels, Selections from the writings of Cicero by who else but Cicero? Scipio Africanus, Greater Than Napoleon by B.H. Liddell Hart. Also, Sherman, Soldier Realist American by B.H. Liddell Hart. Uh, Hart is one of the most celebrated military minds, strategic thinkers of uh, the 20th century, arguably of American history generally, but very, very uh, smart and very influential on the development of more modern ways of thinking about military strategy and tactics, strategic thinking in general. You can learn a lot from him, but he also wrote the work Strategy, the Indirect Approach, which I have read, which is a a counter to the idea that if you want to attack, attack head-on to prove to the enemy that you are not afraid of them, attack and overwhelm them. And if you don't take the objective the first time, Try, try again. Just keep attacking front on, uh, frontal assaults. No matter how many casualties you incur, you're either going to win or you're going to die. But you better commit to it like a man. Uh, B. H. Liddell Hart basically threw that paradigm out after seeing what it translated to in World War One. He said, "No, don't do that. That's dumb. That gets a lot of men killed. You want to be effective, attack the enemy." in their weak spot where they're not expecting you to at a time of your choosing when they're not expecting you to. And if they end up being stronger than, than you expected them to be, then uh, withdraw and reassess. And uh, that that's, that's B.H. Liddell Hart's strategy, strategic ethos paradigm uh, in a nutshell. So I want to read his two books on some very, very uh, successful general Scipio Africanus, the Roman who conquered the Carthaginians and put an end to the uh, Punic Wars, and then also William Tecumseh Sherman, who was instrumental in winning the American Civil War. But then from there, some more that are recommended by others, and this is as far as I've gotten is uh, the next, I guess it's 11 titles here Mythos by Stephen Fry, Fingerprints of the Gods by Graham Hancock. Sir Gibby by George MacDonald. Hannah Coulter, a novel by Wendell Berry. That one recommended by my wife, or at least she said she liked it very, very much. Also with Sir Gibby, she said she liked it very much. Uh, Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. Call the Nurse, two stories of a country nurse in Scotland's Western Islands. Uh, That one also recommended by Lauren, particularly because I did enjoy a journey to the Western Islands of Scotland and the Hebrides. Uh, which I, let, I read last year. And uh, that's actually what led me into reading The Life of Samuel uh, Johnson by James Boswell. So I'm looking forward to that. I think it'll be interesting. Uh, also, The Weapons Wizards, How Israel Became a High-Tech Military Superpower by Yakov Katz and Amir Babat. Uh, I'm sorry, The Weapon Wizards. I misspoke there and also miswrote it. The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels by Alex Epstein, Uh, no relation to Jeffrey Epstein who didn't kill himself, Uh, Gospel Allegiance, What Faith in Jesus Misses for Salvation in Christ by Matthew W. Bates, uh, recommended by my friend Alex Cassetta, The Conservative Mind from Burke to Eliot by, uh, well, I didn't write down who, Uh, I think (laughs) uh, Russell Kirk. (laughs) Uh, Russell Kirk is who wrote that one, and that one is recommended by Joseph Crampton. And then also Psychiatry: The Science of Lies by Thomas Sass. This one's been recommended to me and I'm curious. I just I'm curious what the argument is and uh, I want to get into that one. And then last but not least, Up From Slavery by Booker T Washington. I want to read that one this year and it comes highly recommended actually uh, speaking of the Literary Peeps group that my wife is in on Voxer, this book Uh, All of their families, I think, read for uh, their homeschool curriculum at some time or another in the past year, last school year. And it was everyone's favorite. I think they all commented it was their favorite book of the year. And it was really, really well done. So that has my attention. And I've never read anything by Booker T. Washington. I think that would help me to get a better idea of uh, the scope of. Uh, race relations in America and American history as it relates to slavery. The slavery question has been much in the news, much on people's uh, minds in recent years with the Black Lives Matter movement, and I want to go back to some more original source material and see what was being said, what was being argued, what was being claimed, and uh, why closer to when slavery was actually legal and when it was abolished. So there you have it. There's my reading list so far. That's 38 out of 52. I still have 14 more titles to write in. I'm sure I'll get there. Uh, But if you have recommendations for something I just really, really need to read, I need to read it this year to be more well-rounded, or you would love to hear what I have to say about it or what I think about it, please let me know. Hit me up and give me your recommendations. But coming back to the real world, <laughs> not that the books that I'm planning on reading this year are not the real world. But uh, you know, it's it's funny. I one of the ways that I'm being intentional about my reading list this year is I want to know how many of the books that I read on the front end I am reading because someone else recommended them to me. Versus just, hey, uh, you know, I, I pick whatever I feel like at the time. I see a book show up and I like the cover and I judge the book by its cover and then I read it you know I how many of these books am I reading in a relational way because someone I know suggested the book because they liked it or they wanted to get my thoughts well so also you know when it comes to the real world so-called as opposed to the world of books you know you can look at the headline I'm uh, looking at right now actually in the Greeley Tribune published Last night, or uh, it was updated last night, 6.03 p.m., originally posted, 4.46 p.m., Greeley under winter weather advisory until 8 p.m. And on one level, when you read a headline like that, you're not in the real world, kind of, sort of, when you're just reading the news. But then, of course, we know that if you are about to have some winter weather and that's going to affect your travel plans, That is the real world. That's where the rubber meets the road is, do you actually pay attention and then modify anything whatsoever and change your attitudes or your plans if necessary to either capitalize on on an opportunity or to uh, guard yourself against a risk or a threat. In our case, I work from home today. So far as I know, that will stay uh, true throughout the day. So I'm not going anywhere either way. But on the other hand, if my wife were to say, hey, I'm thinking about going and picking up some groceries or I've got a few errands to run, then it would be very helpful that I've read this little news blurb and I can say, well, okay, let's check the forecast and see, you know, when is it supposed to hit? And maybe you want to go out before that, or maybe you can wait till tomorrow, et cetera, et cetera. In other news here in the Uh, Colorado area, coming from also the Greeley Tribune, there is a report in the business section by Seth Clayman from January 1st titled, Report Shows Which Coloradans Getting Hit Hardest by Inflation, Shelter and Grocery Costs Spiked at Higher Rates for Lower Earning Residents. And we won't read the entire article, but just three paragraphs, Real briefly, and I quote, while high earners are spending more than lower-income Coloradans in real dollars, the impact on their overall income is less. Since September 2020, spending has increased 8.9% for lower-income Coloradans, defined by the report as those making 66% or below of local median income. Nearly half of that 8.9% increase is due to rising housing and grocery costs. Much of the rest is in other essential spending, like medical care and utilities. For middle earners, spending has increased 3.7%, according to the report, and for the wealthier, making 150% or more of median income, it's 2.2%. In contrast, inflation has been more painful for the median lower-income household in terms of groceries and shelter, the report's authors found, but more painful for the median upper-income household in terms of food away from home, household equipment, and recreation. And of course, those are things that you can throttle back. You can control just by saying, okay, we're not going to eat out, right? We're not going to go and do the fun things that we had planned, or we're going to scale that down significantly as we tighten our belts, as we hunker down to try and weather the economic conditions right now. If you are already not doing those things, So much, if you're already not going out to eat and you're already not going and doing the recreational things that, you know, the higher income folks routinely do, well, then that's not an area you can cut. If you pretty much stick to paying your rent, paying your utilities, uh, paying for groceries and, uh, you know, trying to buy clothes and other essentials and necessities, if that's what you are already confining yourself to, then that inflation is going to hit with full force. It's like there's not really a cushion there. That's what you could think of is if you already didn't have a whole lot of discretionary spending as it was, then there's not really much cushion between you and the rising cost of everything. In particular, I can speak to this as a father of eight, as a husband, with a wife who comes to me and tells me what the bill was with a trip to Costco or King Supers. I know that there's just an insane increase in what our uh, household budget is for food. And this coming at a time where it's not just eight kids, it is also now three teenagers, three teenage boys, for that matter, who like to be fit. They like to be physically fit and active and do things. They like to work out. They like to do things. Well, that means they're burning calories. That means, you know, which is a good thing, but they're burning calories and then that means that they want to replenish those calories. Their bodies want to replenish those calories. They're growing into man-sized bodies. And if the groceries costs are skyrocketing, you know, I was just at the grocery store the other day and I was picking up some coffee beans and some coffee creamer and some milk because my wife can't do uh, dairy. The dairy proteins, her body just doesn't know how to handle, but milk is okay. I'm there and I'm walking around trying to get the things that I came for, just those things. And I see orange juice, two half gallons of orange juice for $8. That's their advertised like, Hey, isn't this a great deal? And I'm thinking to myself, no, no, it's not two for $8. What? That's insane. Two for $8. Really? And so, yes, you know, I I think for those who are way above, well above the, uh, you know, median household income, it's important to note this is not just how much do you make. It's also how many mouths are you trying to feed with what it is that you make. And God provides, absolutely. But humanly speaking, it's immoral what is being done with the intentional. Spending of money, deliberate spending of money by our government, which is devaluing our currency. We are not doing the right thing in sending money everywhere else in the world and spending it on ridiculous things, all the while trying to stop, or this administration is trying to stop investment here at home in what would drive down inflation. Less expensive energy would drive down inflation. More manufacturing here in the United States would drive down inflation. But the biggest thing, the single biggest thing that would help with inflation is if they wouldn't be printing money and doing the deficit spending to kingdom come and sending it off to other countries. No, you know what? When we have lower income Americans here who are having a hard time just paying for the necessities and it's really hurting them, it's really pinching them, it's really causing stress on their families, it's ungodly. It's irresponsible. It's ungodly. Think here of Mao starving a hundred million of his own people with the great leap forward and sending the food supplies of the country overseas in exchange for weapons or technology, or even just political favor, even as a hundred million of his own people starve to death due to his sending their food to other countries. And you say, well, wait, maybe those other countries needed it. And I say, your responsibility, this scales up, right? This scales up from the level of an individual household to the level of a nation. Your first responsibility is to your own people in your own household. If you're the ruler of a country, if you're the government of a country, your first responsibility is to the people of your own household. And here, I think folks who have been more affluent for more of their lives and they feel guilty about that. They very much resemble what happened in Russia prior to the October Revolution, the rise of the communists in Russia. The the same thing happened there as is happening here, where you have wealthier people who, in many cases, they feel guilty for having grown up wealthy, and they have an overly idealized view of the nobility of the poor folk. And Therefore, when somebody starts making arguments for communism and Marxism, they say, yeah, you know what? We do live an overly self-indulgent life. Let's try that. Let's try wealth redistribution. Let's try communism, right? Or at least they don't feel like they are free to say, no, that's wrong. That's a bad idea. That's immoral. It's ungodly. They feel so guilty about having grown up with a silver spoon and being comfortable their whole lives that then they vision cast in such a way that leaves the people they should be looking out for most vulnerable to a redistribution of misery and injustice. And that's what communism is. And I think that's what we're seeing. We're seeing our wealth here in America redistributed far and wide in a very similar way to the Great Leap Forward. And some still fairly comfortable Americans who have discretionary spending that they can cut, are like well you know we kind of have it coming you know it 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 is what it is you know the good times couldn't last forever and meanwhile there are poor people who it, it will not be enough for long for them to go on welfare and it's already not enough it's not right that we would force them into a breadline like Bernie Sanders well yeah breadlines are good Because at the end of the line, you get bread. And you're like, no, that's not good. It's not good that people would have to wait in line to get bread from their government. It's good that they would earn their daily bread. Because what you're describing is exactly how the children of Israel became slaves in Egypt for 400 years of hard bondage. It's exactly how it happens. You start getting your bread from the government. And next thing you know, the government has decided that you are slaves. They own you. They own your body. They own your mind. They own your heart and they will command worship at a certain point when the right king comes along, who's just feeling his oats and says, look at this, watch this. See if I can make them bow down to the golden statue of me when the bell chimes. It's not a gray issue. This is a matter of black and white. This is godliness versus wickedness. This is righteousness versus wickedness. This is not a gray issue. The inflation thing actually is a question of morality and godliness, and it does require repentance. It just does. It's not an accident. It's not like the weather, right? It's not like the weather with uh, (laughs) Greeley under winter weather advisory until 8 p.m. It's like our response to the weather. That's what it is. It's like there being a winter weather advisory, and then you go out in shorts and a t-shirt and flippy flops. And it's just about to be a blizzard and you take a whole bunch of people with you and you say the whole family, hey, let's all go out there. Let's go for a hike because hiking is good. And you say, well, it's not a good time for hiking. Well, yeah, but you know, yeah, don't be a negative Nelly. It'll be fine. And then the blizzard hits and you're out there and you're exposed. That's what we're doing. But as a people, and as a nation, this is not going to end well. Trust me. Speaking of Colorado, though, and government and shortages of things, and overabundances of things. CDOT, which is Colorado Department of Transportation, this is a piece from the transportation section in the Denver Post. CDOT is used to building roads, but now it's getting into housing to help with mountain worker shortages. Frisco and Fairplay projects could be the first of several to house maintenance crews in pricey places. So this is to say there's not enough houses. Now, why are there not enough houses? Well, because in part, you've priced a lot of the folk out of the market. That's inflation and stagnant wages, 101. Things get cost prohibitive at a certain point, And that includes the interest in buying and building new houses. Maybe there are houses, but they're being rented out. But when it comes to building houses, if people aren't able to buy because you've crashed the markets, because of the irresponsible printing of money, well then, the folks who would build are not going to build houses they can't sell, because that's a surefire way to go out of business and to lose your shirt, to lose everything. But the Colorado Department of Transportation, ironically, they're they're about transportation. They're supposed to be for helping us to move to and fro. Well, they've got to have somewhere to land, and they can't find, (laughs) for one, uh, enough workers, and then for two, uh, they don't have a place to house those workers. And, and these two things go together. If you can't find enough people to uh, work, and also there aren't enough places for people to live, well, it might be that there are not enough people to do the work because there's not anywhere for them to live. Fix the housing issue, and then you will probably find that people will move to that area and uh, and, and resolve your Problem. But again, the problem is inflation. The problem is not that you don't have enough houses. You know, it's just like when the blizzard hits, if you're out there in your t shirt and your shorts and your flippy flops and you're exposed, the problem is not the t shirt and the shorts and the flippy flops. The problem is your lack of good judgment to wear the right appropriate clothing for what you find yourself in. And when you have somebody from the top saying, okay, you're all going to wear this because it's good. It's good to wear this. Well, yeah, it's good to wear this in some circumstances, not so good in the other circumstances. When somebody from the top is just darn determined and stubborn, then what you find is uh, you find shortages. This is what happens with price caps and manipulations and uh, over taxation, over regulation, controlling the market artificially will lead to shortages and uh, surpluses. It just will. Also, some more Colorado news, because why not? We're going to camp out for four of these uh, news stories here in Colorado, because apparently it's a happening place. Theblaze.com has a piece up from Leon Wolf from yesterday. Boulder Public Library opening Delayed Due to Meth Contamination. Yes, you heard that right. Boulder Public Library opening delayed due to meth contamination. Now, what's the story here? Two staff members for the Boulder, Colorado Public Library tested positive for contamination due to meth that was being smoked in the building's restrooms. And as a matter of fact, if you read down through, they are considering not ever reopening their restrooms to the public again. So if you're looking to go to the public library, they're in Boulder, you'd better use the restroom before you go back at home or some other place in the area. You're not going to be able to use the restroom there. In fact, they're not even opening the public library just yet because there's meth. There's meth contamination. There's been so much smoking of meth in the bathroom at the library that they can't even open the library and they might not ever open the bathrooms again to the public. That is crazy town. Oh, by the way, our governor here, our Democrat governor in Colorado, is from Boulder. I am sure that has uh, no relation whatsoever, except for the fact that this is what Boulder's like. And since Colorado has uh, elected a governor from Boulder, uh, then I think what we can expect is the kinds of problems that Boulder has, you just spread, right? There might be things that are commendable about Boulder, but this is definitely not one of them. And there are a lot of things with regards to Boulder that are not so great that you don't want to scale up. You don't want to spread to the rest of the state of Colorado and then By extension, the Rocky Mountains, because Colorado is an influential state in the Rockies because of its size, because of its economic importance, because of its centrality and its airport, et cetera, et cetera. So not so good. Not so good. That's pretty wild and crazy. Speaking of books and government (laughs) and uh, problems of supply and demand, there's apparently not a shortage of meth like there is a shortage of both workers and housing in Colorado. But in other news, coming away from Colorado for a little bit and uh, thinking about other things that uh, people are smoking, the New York Times ran an op-ed arguing that shorter people are better because they have a smaller carbon footprint. This, a report from Joel Abbott over at nottobe.com from yesterday. Down with tall people, he jokes. And then he's got some highlighted screenshots of uh, tweets from. Seth Dillon, CEO of the Babylon Bee, uh, <laughs> one a share of the article itself from the New York Times. Opinion, there has never been a better time to be short. And then also a little uh, quote that Seth Dillon screenshotted in his tweet. When you mate with shorter people, you're potentially saving the planet by shrinking the needs of subsequent generations. Lowering the height minimum for prospective partners on your dating profile is a step toward a greener planet. Wow. Wow. Okay. Um, probably written by a short person. I'm just, just saying. If I had to guess, the guy or gal who wrote this probably short themselves. Uh, Curious. Curious. <laughs> Another quote here, there's an ongoing debate about the stature of a population, and what it means for the prosperity and fairness of a nation, but I'm interested in shortness on an individual level. There's an ongoing debate about the stature of a population and what it means for the prosperity and fairness of a nation. Is there? Is there? Who's debating that? <laughs> Where is that debate happening? <laughs> <I don't, laughs> please do tell. I kind of want to tune in for that debate. Uh, I just, it's just... What? What? Which nation produces the tallest people? Let's think through this for just a moment. The Netherlands, number one, 1.838 meter tall. Montenegro, 1.832 meters tall. Denmark, 1.826 meters tall. Norway, 1.824 meters tall. Serbia, 1.82 meters tall, according to records in 2017. Uh, Also, too, a lot of this has to do with food over time. How much food do you have available? Excess food means that you're, say, for instance, uh, teenage boys or your smaller children. They eat well when they're in the growing stage and then they end up being taller. If they don't eat well, you have generations of not eating super, super well, then over time, yes, yes. You're going to have shorter people for sure. So, yeah, I suppose if you want shorter people, it's just going to be genes and let's uh, mate. (laughs) Wow. You you really have put this into terms of uh, just animals, right? We're just animals to you. You're not even going to say marry and have children with just mate. We're going to mate like animals, I guess. Uh, But when you mate with a shorter person, that's not all there is to it. Uh, also, if you want shorter people, you're going to have to just feed us all less, which I guess we're working on. We're working on, I guess that's a an upside to inflation is that it will be good for uh, <laughs> uh, global warming or whatever. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's just silly. That is just silly. There needs to be a limit. And if there's a line, this crosses it into just plain silliness. No, thank you. Also coming from New York, not just the New York Times, is related to uh, the craziness. New York as a state is the latest state to legalize human composting, according to reporting by Ben Zeisloft over at the Daily Wire, January 2nd, yesterday. New York is the latest state to legalize human composting. That makes New York the sixth state. Sixth state in the US joining Washington, Colorado, California, Oregon, and Vermont. (sighs) Do you notice a trend? Vermont, where Bernie Sanders has been a senator forever. Oregon, where a homeless woman just recently pushed a three-year-old onto train tracks because she was crazy or on drugs or evil or all three. California, where... It is it, that's now the place to go. If your state has outlawed minors getting gender reassignment, surgery and hormone therapy and all the rest, you can go to California. Now they've made themselves a sanctuary for mutilating your children to try and gain street cred with your progressive friends, Colorado, which as I said, we've got the Boulder public library shut down indefinitely due to people smoking meth in the bathroom The bathroom may never be open to the public again as a result. And then Washington. Washington needs no introduction. And now New York as well. So it all comes together. It's very interesting that uh, the same states that are just radically left in their policies, in their prescriptions, in their outlook generally are also okay with just composting human remains. Why not? Yeah, why not? Who cares? Katie Hobbs takes oath of office as Arizona governor. Caden Pearson reports for the Epoch Times as of this morning. uh, Katie Hobbs has been sworn in to become Arizona's 24th governor on Monday and the first Democrat to hold the office since 2009. Hobbs will be Arizona's fifth female governor and the state's first Democrat in 16 years. She took an oath of office at the state Capitol to officially take over from Republican Doug Ducey, a public inauguration for the governor and others taking statewide offices is scheduled for Thursday. Interesting note. Only one photographer was allowed in the room when she took the oath of office. All other media were barred, which is weird. That's a weird thing to do. I think, uh, why, right? Why? well, Probably so that you don't have to take questions from reporters, but it's not a great look. Not the super democratic thing to do if you are supposed to be representing the people, but you don't want to take questions from the people unless we go back to every form of government is a representative form of government. An absolute monarchy, a despotism, a oligarchy, communism. All of these are representative forms of government. They represent the character of the people, what is tolerated is what you will get. And it just requires an act of imagination and ambition to exploit what you will tolerate. What you will tolerate is what will continue. Speaking of government and what you will tolerate and uh, asking questions, Harris Rigby over at not has a post up from yesterday. This Twitter user Looked up all the former feds now employed at Google, and you have to read it to believe how incestuous the government and big tech are. And this is wild stuff. This is really wild stuff. Here's the breakdown, according to name redacted247 at Twitter. Google currently employs at least 165 people in high-ranking positions from the intelligence community. Google's trust and safety team is managed by three CIA agents who control, quote, misinfo and hate speech, end quote. Here's the breakdown. CIA, 27. FBI, 52. NSA, 30. DHS, 50. ODNI, 6. As we scroll down, name redacted 247 continues. Since the 2016 presidential election, Google, Facebook, Twitter have hired at least 300 plus people formerly employed by CIA, FBI, etc., ex-CIA agents are heads of trust and safety at Google and Facebook, is it okay that ex-CIA agents control what misinfo is? You know, They're not deep undercover. We'll, we'll just say that. They're not deep undercover if they are still doing the bidding of uh, their former employer. <sighs> These are not just former employees of the CIA and FBI, though. Now, one might think, for the sake of argument, you might respond to this and say, well, who knows, right? Maybe they left the FBI and the CIA because they objected to, couldn't go along with the political targeting of conservatives, conservative politicians, former President Donald Trump, anybody connected with Donald Trump. Uh, you know, maybe that's what it was, is that they left the intelligence agencies because they are conservatives. Yeah, maybe, who knows, right? To put that uh, suspicion to rest, (laughs) in March 2020, while COVID infections were exploding, Rossman, and this Rossman is Nick Rossman, the uh, current Google senior manager for trust and safety, former CIA analyst for five years, it even says it on his Twitter profile, his tweet from March 2020, and I quote, I hope they cough on their grandparents who voted for Trump and get to rot. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Also, too, the same Nick Rossman tweeted out a picture of the Tennessee results from 2017, August 1st, 2017, showing Trump having won 60.7% of the votes compared with Hillary Clinton's 34.7%. Nick Rossman's comment when he posted this March 16th 2020 when you vote for death so that is to say Trump voting for Trump is voting for death that that's what Nick Rossman again Nick Rossman former CIA analyst for five years current Google senior manager trust and safety who is he trying to maintain the trust and safety of um, maybe not conservatives maybe not just maybe maybe not Republicans Maybe not Trump voters. Rossman, in a series of anti-white people, tweets, states, anti-vaxxers are like Nazis. And here's one from 2017, another one from 2020. Look, another way for white people to kill black kids. Anti-vaxxers are like Nazis and Confederates have come out of the dark with Trump. And then, odd that the young black men can't profit off their likeness, but the rich white men can. And then, A rich white kid's family can pay for the girlfriend's ticket. Chase Young gets a loan, pays it back from someone who is not a university employee, blah, 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 blah. So it's this Black Lives Matter narrative. It is hard left on down the line with Nick Rossman. Also, too, 2016, November 20th, 2016, Rossman calls President Trump a lunatic and racist, and I quote, and this is a response that Donald J. Trump uh, you know, tweeted out and Nick Rossman has uh, replied to. Donald Trump says, I watched parts of Saturday Night Live last night. It is a total one-sided biased show. Nothing funny at all. Equal time for us. Nick Rossman's reply was, you don't get equal time. You are a lunatic and a racist. Unprepared for the presidency. Hashtag resist. C.C. Keith Olbermann. And you get the picture, right? I could go on, but you get the idea. This guy's the head of Google's trust and safety, and there's also, besides him, 164 at least high-ranking positions filled from former intelligence community persons. And this is why this is why people like me say the deep state is a thing, and. It was out to get Trump from the beginning, and you can't look at these social media giants or these big tech company giants. You can't look at them as private companies because they're not. They are mercenaries. They're like uh, you know the, the uh, defense contractors that were hired in Iraq and Afghanistan to do a lot of the work. We had defense contractors who were doing security, who were running missions. They weren't actually even directly part of the military, but they were on the payroll and they would do military things at the behest of our government. And then if something blows up, if it goes badly, well, it's easy to cut ties. It's easy to say, oh, no, we had no idea. We had no idea that they were doing that. Now we disavow that. That wasn't a US military service member. Yeah, but it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter if you've got people going back and forth. You're just, you're playing games with semantics. You're arguing about the definition of words the buck stops with you and if it doesn't well then you still shouldn't be in charge because you don't have integrity you are not a good leader changing gears though right let's change gears away from big tech let's talk briefly about actor Brad William Hankey who just died in his sleep at age 56 some reporting by Alex Nitzberg from December 1st at the blaze i'm not familiar with this actor but apparently he played in the 1990 Super Bowl with the Denver Broncos who lost, but nevertheless, he was in a lot of TV shows. He went into acting. He was on Law & Order, Special Victims Unit. He was on MacGyver, The Office, ER, multiple episodes of the show Lost, even appeared in Space Jam with Michael Jordan. So this actor just died in his sleep at 56. And I'm just kind of curious why there's no... Cause of death listed. Is it just me? Or do we seem to have more and more of these as of late? We have more and more of these kinds of stories. Somebody famous just having died suddenly, oddly, strangely, unexpectedly, and no cause of death listed or heart attack. And were they old enough to have a heart attack or do they seem a little young? For instance... Another bit of reporting. This one by Ryan Saavedra from this morning over at the Daily Wire. Buffalo Bills released medical diagnosis after Damar Hamlin collapses on field. The Buffalo Bills, and I quote, said in a statement during the early morning hours on Tuesday that safety, Damar Hamlin's frightening collapse on the field, was triggered by a heart attack. Hamlin collapsed with About six minutes left in the first quarter of the Monday night football game after he tackled Cincinnati Bengals receiver T. Higgins after a 13-yard catch. After the tackle, Hamlin got up, took a step backward, and fell to the ground. DeMar Hamlin suffered a cardiac arrest following a hit in our game versus the Bengals, the team said in a statement. His heartbeat was restored on the field, and he was transferred to the UC Medical Center for further testing and treatment. He is currently sedated and listed in critical condition. So what we have here is yet another, this guy's 24, yet another sudden heart attack. And it seems to me as though this is related to and due to the government mandated response to COVID, period, full stop. It seems to me as though the this guy at 56 just died in his sleep. This guy just died of a heart attack. This guy just died of a heart attack. This guy just collapsed on live TV, in front of tens of thousands and millions of people, of a heart attack. Oh, this young athlete just collapsed and had a stroke and seized up because they had blood clots. It seems to me as though this is directly related, this is disproportionate to what it used to be, and that it is closely linked to the government-mandated response to covid In other words, we were told you have to lock down, stay in your homes indefinitely, don't go out. The liquor stores, the dispensaries in Colorado were allowed to stay open, but churches? No. Small businesses? No. Birthday parties, funerals, weddings? No. But you can go to the liquor store, you can go to the dispensary, you can do drugs, you can drink, you can stay home, you can collect a paycheck. When we find that the economy has collapsed, even when you open it back up, there's not enough goods relative to the supply of money, in part because you keep increasing the supply of money. Also, you have interfered with the production of goods. We have folks dying, dropping dead. And oh, by the way, this is to say nothing of years of mandated masking, social distancing. What does that do? for people's health. Not good things. Not good things. Besides that, you have the mandated vaccines, which corporations, large and small, sports leagues, professional sports leagues, governments required, or else you were out. You would be terminated. At minimum, you will not be promoted. Don't expect your career to go anywhere anytime soon if you don't get this shot, and the next one, and the next one, and the next one, and the next one. And oh yeah, by the way, it doesn't actually stop infection. It won't keep you from getting COVID. It won't decrease the severity of your symptoms. We lied, by the way. We lied and we told you it would keep you from spreading it, and that it, if you did get it anyways, you would have a much less severe case. We silenced people who warned about the potential health effects of manipulating people's RNA. And now we have healthy young people dropping dead of cardiac arrest. And do you know what I think? I'll tell you what I think. I think that this was all on purpose. I think it was deliberate. I don't think that this is an accident. I think it's on purpose. I think we are getting a small preview and a small taste of what the powers that be think is justified to bring about utopia, to bring about their communist Marxist dreamscape. I think this is justified in the hearts and minds of evil men, just like the great leap forward was just like the final solution to the Jewish problem was, but it's just scaled up. I I think this is the tip of the iceberg. I think we're going to have a lot of people who cared more than anything about approval, about listening to the media narrative, being sick and dying suddenly. And I'm sorry to say that, but I think this is just the beginning. I think we're going to have a lot more sudden heart attacks for people who shouldn't have taken the vaccine, shouldn't have taken it. They shouldn't have shut down, locked down. They shouldn't have been wearing the masks for years. They shouldn't have been doing the social distancing thing. They shouldn't have been going to the liquor store instead of the church, going to the dispensary instead of the birthday party or the funeral or the wedding. I think this is just the beginning and I think that the folks, and I have even very close relatives who said this, when the lockdowns happened, they said, well, you know what? I've never seen a clearer view of the mountains. And I thought, oh, dear God in heaven, do you hear yourself? That's your upside? That's your, that's going to be the upside that you refer back to again when California announces Nobody's going to be allowed to buy internal combustion engine vehicles by the year 2035. We're all going to have a great view of the mountains. As inflation is eating our lunch, literally taking the ability to buy food at the grocery store and compressing it. The bright side is, well, at least we'll have a a clear view of the mountains as people are dropping dead of heart attacks on live TV or dropping dropping dead Sometimes, other times, just collapsing and then being resuscitated in front of everyone, and now they're in serious condition, you'll at least have a clear view of the mountains. Well, you know what? I think that's also what the Klaus Schwab types had in mind. I think that's also what the Al Gore types had in mind, the George Soros types had in mind. And the the, the trouble here is that if you read history and you say, Hey, there have been evil men before and they, if they are evil and they are clever and they band together and they come up with an effective strategy, an effective tactic, an effective technology that their opponents or their victims, as the case may be, depending on how effective their strategy and tactic and technology is, their victims don't know how to counter, don't know any defense against, don't even know to defend against. There is only a limit of their imagination when it comes to how many people they might be willing to destroy. Think of Attila the Hun, think of Genghis Khan putting entire cities to the sword if they did not surrender. Think of history, and not that far back in history, Mao and Stalin and Hitler killing millions of their own people and millions and millions more besides. That's all you need to know to know that this is possible. This is something people are capable of doing on their way to building their own conception of what's best, their own government, their own power, their own wealth, their own prestige. But I say that, and I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. And the only thing that's going to help it to get better is going to be a come to Jesus moment. But I don't think people are going to come to Jesus until they are truly, truly desperate. I think the true desperation will be when folks panic at this increasing in severity and regularity and affecting people that they know directly. When that happens more and more, then you'll have to come to Jesus moment because God help us. Until that time, we will come up with more and more elaborate ways of Minimizing, marginalizing, downplaying, justifying, denying. But you have to guard your heart, for one. You need to look to God, tell the righteous it will go well with them, for they will eat the fruit of their deeds, Isaiah 3 says. Don't be afraid. Do be sober and vigilant, for your adversary the devil goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, someone might say, well, Garrett, you know, I think you're being really harsh here. You need to watch your rhetoric. We need to extend grace even to the people who are evil. And I say to that, God's grace is that they have an opportunity to repent. If they're not bearing fruit in keeping with repentance all the while, they are oppressing, they're harming, they're disenfranchising, they're molesting, they're abusing, they're murdering, they're slandering they're sowing dissensions. We know what God thinks. If they repent, then grace, the kind word is appropriate. In the meantime, Proverbs 31, one through nine, open your mouth. You can't open your mouth for those who are destitute, poor, needy, low income, most heavily impacted by these things, least capable of protecting themselves from these things. You cannot open your mouth on their behalf without saying, Hey, you can't do that to him. No, that's unacceptable. That's wrong. He has a right to do what he's doing. You are interfering. Hey, you can't do that to him. That's evil. No, stop. Everybody pay attention. Do you see what this guy's doing? He was just trying to mug her. He was just trying to rob that guy. He was just beating this person senseless. He was just shoving this little girl onto train tracks because he can't. Because nobody's stopping him. Because nobody cares. But you need to care. You got to. And if you don't care, well, then you need to repent. If you don't care, if these things are not concerning, if you are in the habit of downplaying, minimizing, marginalizing, justifying, normalizing, then you need to repent. The righteous call for repentance. Rescue those who are being led away to the slaughter hold back those who are being led away to death. That's what the righteous do. That's what we have to be about. That's what we've got to do. Pick your battles. am sure, by all means. But that means you have to pick some. You do have to pick some. But I got to go. I got to run. I got a meeting here in 15. That's all the time I've got for this episode. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless.